Hello, my friends. Thank you. I'm just going to keep pressing this. Uh, to follow up on what Kevin was talking about, Kevin and Stephanie, I want to thank you guys. They deserve a big round of applause for everything that they do for the finances here. Um, they were talking about people staying under under budget, and I, you know, and that's I'm one of those people. But they show us how to do that and where our limits are and everything. It's phenomenal what they do for our community with the finances. So uh, anyway, I'm Blake. If you don't know me, I'm the community pastor here at Eastgate. Um, if you didn't notice, I'm not Rob, but he's going to be back next week, and we'll get back to your regular scheduled program. Um, but today we're going to be continuing our study in John chapter 4. So if you want to go over to verses 31 to 45 to get a head start on it, uh, you can go ahead and flip over there. And I wanted to ask you guys, how many of you have been to the movies before? Raise a hand. Okay, so that's at least like 20% of us. All right, sounds good, sounds good. Uh, and um, whenever you go to the movies, so what do you see whenever you're at the movies? You see the movie? Yeah. Popcorn, previews, there's colors, there's... Yeah. Silence your cell phones. <laughs> yeah, I got mine silenced over there so it wouldn't ring during the service. Uh, so you see some colors, you see images, you see a story. Um, if you're my age or older than that, uh, movies used to be projected onto a screen. And so there would be a light shining out and the movie film would go in front of that. And then you'd see, uh, you'd see on the screen the movie that was projected onto there. Um, I doubt that they still do that with the technology that they have nowadays, but, you know, back in my day, they didn't have such newfangled equipment, but, uh, you know, that's what they have there. So, and also like, has anybody ever seen the moon at night? Like, so what do you see whenever you see the moon? Light? Reflection of the sun. You nailed it. (laughs) But, you know, round rock, you know, uh, that kind of thing. Um, so... What we're really seeing whenever, uh, whenever we look at the moon is uh, it's the reflection of the sun onto the, onto the moon and then here onto earth. And so the dim light that we see isn't actually the moon's light, it's, uh, it's actually the sun's light. So whenever we go back to the movies and we look at the moon in the sky, we're really seeing two different things. We're seeing uh, the physical thing that's happening, like scientifically, so to speak, and we're also seeing the beauty that we experience at that time, unless it's a bad movie, but I can't do anything about that. But just like the movies and the moon, that's what we're going to be looking at here today. So Jesus was teaching a Samaritan woman and his disciples and us today that we're experiencing two realities simultaneously. Uh, So with that being said, let's get into our first verses. It says, Meanwhile, the disciples were urging Jesus, Rabbi, eat something. But Jesus replied, I have a kind of food that you know nothing about. Did someone bring him food while we were gone? The disciples asked each other. Then Jesus explained, My nourishment comes from doing the will of God who sent me and from finishing his work. So in these verses, we see here that Jesus and his disciples are talking about two different things. And he's trying to show us something here. And maybe Jesus is trying to show us that it's time we stop looking. uh, It's time that we stop uh, looking at what we see with our eyes only. Um, So let's go back up to the first verse. What's the first word that that verse starts out with? Anybody? Meanwhile. So whenever we see the word meanwhile, we got to go back and find out what it's there for. I I don't think I got that quite right, but let's just keep going. Let's just keep going. (laughs) 
So uh, in the message that Rob taught last week, he taught about the woman at the well. And if you uh, miss that or you just don't remember, the main thing that we need to pull from that is to know that Jesus was talking to a Samaritan woman in Samaria. And that's like you couldn't get more scandalous than that. But whenever he was talking to her, he was talking to her about water. He asked her for some water and she told him, like, you ain't got no bucket, my man. But he says to her, I have living water that you don't know about that you'll never thirst again. And in this passage that we read today, we see that uh, the disciples had food, and Jesus replies that he has food that they don't know about. So the disciples show up, and they see Jesus talking to this woman, and they say to him, Rabbi, eat. And in fact, the Bible says that, it, that they urged him to eat. And I, it certainly shows that, it, that they cared for him, but it got me to wondering, like, what makes us feel the urge to tell Christ what to do? You know, what, what he needs. Like he's not perfectly capable of taking care of himself. And it's something I'm going to need to meditate on. I haven't got a clear answer on that yet. But also these verses got me to thinking how often we are so focused on what we can see and touch that we fail to recognize what we feel in our souls. The spiritual reality is here. Jesus says in Matthew 17 that the kingdom of heaven is near, even at hand. And he talks about the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven more than almost every other subject in the Bible. And I find that we miss it so often. When God moves us to do something, we almost instantly find all the reasons that we can't do that thing. We look with our physical eyes. And, uh, I mean, at least I do. I'm sure that real Christians don't do that. But for me, it is a problem. Think to yourself, you know, I don't have enough time to bring her to the doctor. I don't have enough money to give to that man right now. Um, I'm not smart enough to accomplish that task. Or even the worst one, I'm not close enough to God right now. Or I haven't read my Bible enough. So maybe next week after I've prayed a little bit, then I'll be holy enough to do, do what God's asking me to do. And we'll see later in this section of Scripture that a simple testimony is a powerful thing. We don't have to have a single Bible verse memorized to tell our story about what Jesus has done in our lives. The Samaritan woman did that, and so we're going to find that out in a little bit. But it's so easy to focus on what we see with the two blobs on the front of our head that we don't see with the eyes in our spiritual heart. And don't get me wrong, there's like nothing intrinsically wrong with using the senses that we have. I mean, they are a gift from God. It's how we enjoy the sunrise. We see the wind blowing through the trees. Uh... They navigate us through this world. In fact, you know, our senses, frankly, they keep us alive, right? I mean, they are a gift. But we would do well to remember that there are two realities going on, the physical and the spiritual. And Christ shows up in the mundane things that we often take for granted, that we often don't look at. Uh, the events that happen where uh, whenever we're checking the mail, or whenever we're making dinner or leaving the driveway to go to work. Even on a Monday, you know, Jesus is still there that day. When we're playing with our kids or buying our groceries, Christ is always there and always moving. We simply need to use our new hearts to see him moving. The Christ we see in Jesus is the same living Christ, still moving and still living today. If Jesus can teach his disciples about the kingdom of heaven using a simple lunch in this story, then he can teach us about the kingdom of heaven when we mow the grass or feed our pets. We just need to have eyes to, ear, eyes to see and ears to hear. And Jesus isn't talking about our physical eyes and, and ears. They are tools he uses, yes, for sure. But he's talking about the ears and eyes of our new hearts 
that he's given to us. All right, so let's continue on with our reading. You know the saying, four months between planting and harvest, but I say, wake up and look around. The fields are already ripe with harvest. The harvesters are paid good wages, and the fruit they harvest is people brought into eternal life. What joy awaits both the planter and the harvester alike? Not that slide. Uh, so just like uh, the two truths that we see in the water and in the food, we can also find two truths in the harvest. Uh, the first one we see is what we already spoke about, the physical and the spiritual eyes. And the second truth that we find um, is that God's time is not our time. I'm just going to keep on pressing buttons. There it is. That's all right. I wanted to talk about finances again. Everybody sit down. <laughs> You'll hear from a true amateur about finances, what's going on. There we go. So what do I do, though? That's where you want me? All right. So you put up the next slide then. The God's time is not our time. So there's several steps in order to be taken uh, to get an, a harvest. And I'm, gonna list, I'm not going to list all of them just for brevity's sake, but uh, I do want to list some of the main ones that we talk about in Christianity. The, the one is tilling the ground. Uh, the second one is planting the seed. There's watering. And the last is harvesting. So the harvesting is the closest process that we have to consider to getting like a reward. It's the thing we can hold in our hands. It's something tangible uh, that our five senses can get the reality of, right? Um, tilling the ground is hard work. Uh, there's something that uh, we shouldn't be doing that God's showing us. There's something that we shouldn't be doing that we are doing or something that we should be doing that we're not doing. Uh, and so... Um, we're far, whenever we're tilling the ground, whenever God is tilling the ground in our hearts, we're far from seeing the results uh, that whenever the ground first breaks. And oftentimes God is calling us to do something to help someone else, even if it's for future generations, a harvest that's never gonna, that we're never going to see to fruition. There's also planting the seed. Telling someone about Jesus doesn't often cause a harvest immediately. I can't tell you how many people planted a seed in my heart before, uh, and by showing me the love of Christ before I met you guys 20-something years ago. And you guys watered the seed that was already planted in my heart. You saw the harvest that the person that planted the seed didn't get to see. Um, and it changed my life forever. And those who planted the seed in my heart, they never watered it. Uh, they're hundreds of miles away, and uh, they probably wouldn't even recognize me if I saw them again. But uh, And there's those who planted the seed in my heart that never watered it. So then there's the nurturing before the fruit yields. That's just you know removing the weeds, keeping the birds at bay. Still no harvest. But Jesus tells us here what joy awaits both the planter and the harvester alike. 1 Corinthians 3 says, I planted the seed. This is Paul writing here. He says, I planted the seed, Apollos watered, but God is making it grow. So neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything but only God who makes things grow. One who plants and the one who's, who, water, who waters have one purpose. They will each be rewarded according to their labor, for we are co-workers with God's service. So we see that there's work to be done, but it's not hard. It's not toiling or striving towards something that has no reward or no end. And like Jesus said earlier, my nourishment comes from doing the will of God who sent me and finishing his work. And Jesus says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. If it's hard, maybe it's because we're trying to 
do something that we're trying to do God's part. The actual heart changes. We can't change anyone. And I hate to break it to you, but we just ain't that powerful. We have the privilege of joining in with the labor that Jesus has already done. And in Jesus, we also find rest. And there we can also find our joy. So the tilling can be difficult. And it doesn't feel rewarding. But it is the beginning of something beautiful. So we can rejoice and be grateful. Because we're joining in with the work that Christ is already doing. And if he's doing it, there will be a harvest. Sometimes we're called to plant a seed. And that requires patience. We don't get the opportunity to see the life that only God can do beginning underneath the ground. But we can rejoice and be grateful. We had an opportunity to participate in Jesus' labor. And someone else will get to harvest later on. And just like we get to harvest what we don't plant, sometimes we plant what we will not harvest. But again, God promises there will always be a harvest. Sometimes we're called to water. Water doesn't seem to be doing anything at all except making mud. It looks like that's the most productive thing that we're accomplishing. But we can't see with any meaningful purposes with our five senses. But rejoice and be grateful because we're participating in a God-creating life. We're becoming co-heirs with Christ in that work. And we learn that all of it leads to the harvest. And gratefulness is an important part. A while back, I was having some food that somebody had made. And I was, you know, I like to cook and everything. And so I was being judgmental. I was like, oh, man, they should have put seasoning on this. Or they should have cooked this a little bit longer. You know, that kind of thing. And I just had a very judgmental type of mindset. But God put a peace in my heart and told me about gratefulness. And it changed everything. And then I changed to God, thank you that I had somebody that cared enough about me to make a, make a meal for me. And then I'm in an air-conditioned building and I've got utensils. That changes things. So judgment is constricting. It's tight. But gratefulness is freedom. And it's loose and it opens up. And so we need to have a grateful heart whenever we're going into these things. Sometimes things seem hard. But have a grateful heart because the harvest, because it all leads to harvest. Jesus says, lift up our eyes. Get a higher perspective of what's happening. Stop looking at the mud and waiting for something. Look up and see what Christ is doing. We are participating in a story that has been going on since the beginning of creation and one that will never end. And those, there are those who have come before us who have planted, and we're planning for those who will come after us. So don't grow weary in well-doing. Share the love that you have in Christ Jesus with everyone you see. And sometimes it looks like building a medical facility in in another country. Sometimes it looks like bringing a glass of water to your wife. Sometimes it looks like handling a tragedy with grace and compassion. But no matter what, as followers of Christ, we stay joyful. We lift up our spiritual lives, and we know that the harvest is now. Tell somebody uh, how, how your life changed and the whole town wants to hear more about it. We have no idea what planting a seed, what kind of fruit that's going to bear. We don't know what God's going to do with these things. And like we talked about earlier already today, testimony is a powerful thing. And that's what we're going to be reading about in the next verses. 
A simple extension of love to a tired woman getting some water turned into a testimony that moved many to listen to what she had to say. Many Samaritans from the village believed in Jesus because the woman had said, He told me everything I ever did. And when they came out to see him, they begged him to stay in their village. So he stayed for two days, long enough for many more to hear his message and believe. Then they said to the woman, Now we believe, not just because of what you told us, but because we have heard him ourselves. Now we know that he is indeed the Savior of the world. And at the end of two days, Jesus went to Galilee. So the last passage here says, you know, there, there's a hundred messages in that passage, but I'm not going to go over all of them. I figured you guys want to have lunch at some point today. But the last passage here does say something that I just can't get over. What persuaded both the Samaritans and the Galileans here was contact with Jesus. There is just no substitute for having direct contact with Jesus. It says here that, the pe- that they, the people from the village, said to the woman, but because we heard him ourselves. And the Galileans, they, they said, had heard everything that he did there, meaning in Jerusalem during the Passover feast. And so, listen, we can use logic, we can use emotion, we can even use manipulation to try and get somebody to understand or to have a relationship with Christ. We can twist ourselves in the knots trying to figure out what we can do to get them to change their hearts. But only God grows the seed. We can fly halfway around the world to dig a well in a village. We can pay for somebody's groceries. We could be the pastor of a church. We can even heal the sick. But if we don't do it with love as our motivation, it's just mud. We till the ground. We water. We plant the seed. That's it. That's our labor. But the only thing that we are called to do is love. We express and give out only the love that was gifted to us. It's not something that we intrinsically have ourselves. It was a gift, and then we give it away. We will never give life to anything unless we're participating in what Christ is already doing. And the last thing I want to talk about here, I want to kind of take a step back and get a 30,000-foot view of last week's verses and today's verses. And I believe we have all the makings of a meal if we look at the whole picture. There's water, wine, food, guests. That's us. There's bread, and there's one incredibly gracious host. So imagine for a moment that you're sitting down at a table with Jesus, the Christ of all reality. And there's an aroma in the air that smells so delicious. The food is obviously incredible. It fills the room, and you sit across from each other on this long table, just a short distance from each other. The chairs are soft, they're cozy, they're comfortable. The wine is sweet and aromatic. The bread is warm and soft and buttery. It's like a sponge on your tongue. And the water is pure, fresh from a spring. And the company... The one you're having dinner with is the beautiful person of Jesus. He's looking right in your eyes whenever you speak to him. He's listening to every word that you have to say with wonder and astonishment. And he's fully intrigued by your thoughts and the things that you're telling him. And there's a smile on his face. A a smile that can only come from raw and unfiltered love. How do you feel in that moment? 
I mean, peaceful, calm, tranquil, loved. Here's the thing that we learn here. The harvest is now. We look up. Lift up our eyes and we see, we really see with our souls that that moment is now. It's always now. Ten minutes from now, it's going to be now. Ten months from now, it's going to be now. Ten years from now. Ten centuries from now. I mean, we're talking about God here. He set the table. He created the table and the chairs. And he made the trees that made the wood to make that table. He made the fire to cook it. He made the plants that made the, the, the meal itself. He made the bread and he created the wheat that it was made from. He also made the workers who planted and watered and harvested that wheat. He made the wine and he created the grapes that, that were used to make it. He poured the water and he created the spring that that water came from. And you're his honored guest. We're all his honored guests. And he created you as well. So enter into his labor and what he and enjoy what he has created. And here's what's amazing. We haven't done anything to deserve to be there. It's a gift. And the thing about it is, whenever you sit at this table and you look down, it's as far as the eye can see, and there's more, ta- more chairs than we could ever imagine. Everyone is welcome. We get to show people whenever heaven meets earth. The Christ mystery is whenever the spirit meets the physical. And God is letting us be a participant in that. We get to be a part of whenever heaven meets earth and we can show that to people. And we can invite anyone. He has told us to invite anyone and everyone to that table. So let's take that to heart. And after we leave here today, let's be grateful for simply being invited. Let's begin the practice of seeing with our eyes and the eyes of our soul to look into the kingdom of God. See with both these eyes and these eyes and be a participant in heaven overlapping earth. Amen. Well, Father God, I want to thank you for all that you are. I ask you that you... Give us grateful hearts. I ask you that you help us to not not be so concerned about the things that are happening to, to us in this life, Lord. I thank you that you've given us emotions that we have whenever things are going sideways. But I ask you that you help us to see that in all moments there is a harvest somewhere. I ask you that you help us to be grateful for that and move toward that. And I ask you that you help us to show others and invite others to see the kingdom of heaven on this earth. Thank you for giving us two vantage points, Lord. Thank you for our new hearts and all that you are. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.